Good afternoon, Wear Many Hats listeners. It's me, Mark Robinson, with another episode of the podcast. Today, I am really excited to be joined by a gentleman who's operated within the space for a significant number of years. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to introduce Mark Tyson, the Head of Asset Services for Legal and General Elgin. How you going, Mark? You all right? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. How's, did you get it all right? Yeah, fine. Bit bit wet today. Which, uh, yeah, no, it's not, not nice, so fun, is, it? is it? But yeah, it's a bit warm as well, though, isn't it? You don't know how to dress. Yeah, it's nicer than it was a few weeks ago, where it was a bit bit too chilly, wasn't it? But yeah, it was a bit Baltic. <laughs> to be fair, have you come far then? Do you do you work local to where no, we are? So the office is uh, near Moorgate, Coleman Street. So oh, nice lovely. and easy, nice and easy for yeah, you. We have properties around this sort of way as well. Yeah. So, so. do you, do you work out of multiple properties generally? Are you quite mobile. I'm probably in. Uh, the office in Common Street most of the time, sort of three yeah. three days a week, and yeah. then we're up somewhere around the country because it's a UK portfolio. Yes, um, and my job, I think, is to go out and immerse myself in it, speak to people, yeah, um, and and so on. But yeah, I, I, I'm really don't like working from home. No, so you won't see me at home on a on a on a, on a uh, Teams call or whatever. Generally, either in the office or yeah. out and about in our portfolio somewhere. That's because we've both got three kids, Mark. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, COVID was there. Uh, was entertaining from that perspective but i very much need a uh, a work life split yes um, yes and i enjoy the commute as well do you i love the commute yeah oh, most people don't say that no, where, where, where do you it. commute from wandsworth i live in Armsfield. oh really yeah so i get 12 minutes into waterloo mm. and then uh waterloo and city line and, and a walkie for sides so it's just a chance to clear my head yeah do a couple of emails if i want to read the paper get ready for the day get ready for the day but and then on the other side coming back into family life you can download before yeah. you get home uh, it's important I mean, in covid i think there's little things like that that people miss was that going from very highly pressured situations at work to the other side of the door was a highly pressurized situation for a different reason that's right. actually trying to i've never thought about it like that uh, but you're correct yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you know you wouldn't have that that in between part where you could yeah. compartmentalize the day i suppose yeah and i think it's, it's interesting like when i early part of my career i couldn't switch off right like and, and you, you never you, you, i always found my brain was racing at weekends and yeah, you just dream about working. And you have to learn. You have yeah, to learn how true. to switch off. And I think having a family does help with that. That's true. But yeah. having that separation between being at home with the family and being at work and in work, I think is important. Yeah. Um, and COVID just blurred the lines. No, it did. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. Okay, brilliant. Well, listen, I always like to start with a really easy question. So why don't you walk us through your career? Um, how you got into the industry, how long you've been in the industry, yeah. you know, and, and, and what you've enjoyed. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's people always say they fell into facilities management or property. Yeah, um, I I would say I wasn't really aware of it, mm. but I, I I wanted to learn some skills. So my first job actually was a, a graduate scheme for an IT company. Right. So more of a marketing slash project management job. Okay. And it was good. I enjoyed it, and 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 was that post uni then? Post uni. So I did a business management degree, right? University of Essex. Okay. Um, so that would have obviously helped leading into yeah i mean I, I i always set out to be a generalist yeah so my career is about general management how do right. i how do i get to run businesses was my okay my, was my sort of plan from actually from 14 15 right okay and and i don't really know yeah I, but but then i haven't planned jobs i've very yeah. much been and i don't know who i generally don't know who told me this but it's something i've, I've very much stuck to is learn skills to yeah. learn skills and experience and then stitch it all together so yeah. my first plan was to do a graduate scheme because it was mm. like fun, good way to experience a business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I applied to loads. 
Right. Um, and then Northgate took me on mm-hmm. as, a, as a cohort of about eight grads. And we had an amazing experience, like the, the access to senior management, some of the training and management development, yeah. which I can still remember now. Is that Northgate Vehicle Hire? No, Northgate no. Information Solutions, they were called. I think they're right. called Northgate Arinzo now. Yeah, so they, do, uh, they used to do payroll solutions. Right. And the bit I was in was public sector technology. So it was actually what they were called blue lights yeah, services. Yeah. So like all the software that runs 999 calls. That was quite interesting. Yeah, and, and actually one of the one of the things that drew me to it, sadly, was there was the SOA murders. Oh, yeah, remember, I remember. There was a Bishar report where none of the police forces shared information. Yes. So Northgate were one of the main companies that were developing technology solutions around... To bring all those databases, databases together. together. Right. So in the when I was looking at jobs, I was thinking, that's quite an interesting, yeah. uh, worthy sort of thing to get involved in. Mm. And it was. It was really interesting. But I, I, after about two and a half years, um, I sort of realized I wanted to manage people. Yeah. Marketing probably wasn't going to be my... Right, long-term thing. It was a skill I'd sort of learned, mm. um, but I wanted to to go in and sort of manage people. Mm. Strangely, in my head before um, before I had kids and stuff, I didn't even, I, I didn't really have that on the agenda. I was only twenty three, but yeah. I was very much thinking that there's certain skills it's easier to learn, but you don't get paid that much, yeah. and you haven't got the stress of of, of family. Yeah, agreed. So yeah. I saw an advert in the Times actually. Right. Um, this is a funny little story. Back in the days when yeah, you used to advertise in, in newspapers. The, 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 the Times used school. to have that really good career section. Yeah, yeah, did you? Do you remember that? Yeah, it was I awesome. Do, yeah, yeah, and there was, yeah. this, there was this full page spread without a logo on it. Right. And it was like, um, do you, are you the next like big general manager? Do you want to manage lots of people? Quickly learn P&L. Yeah. Like, and all this. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is written for me. This is me, yeah. Two years out of university. They didn't want first jobbers. They wanted like second jobbers. I was like, this is me. Right. So I took a day's leave. Went up to, actually it was Northampton, and sat in this room with about 20 other people. Yeah. And I was like, who is this company? Why is there all this mystery? Yeah. And uh, so the guy stood up and he goes, um, now the reason we haven't told you who we are is I want you to be honest, put your hand up if you would still have come. Right. When, she, when we show you the logo. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. to the next slide. It's Reliant Security. Right. And I was like, oh my God, why have I taken a day's leave for this? Ah. Like, quite snobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he was like, look, listen for half an hour if you want, then leave. Otherwise, yeah. go forward. And he was like, look. Not many people at your age will give you this level of responsibility. They were sort of pegging themselves like a Tesco, like a little Audi scheme. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Where you get responsibility quick. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. And I was like, do you know what? That's really interesting. So get big team, customer exposure. Yeah. Um, and there was what I was looking for. So going back to that skills acquisition, how do I get managing big teams experience? Yeah. So you were quickly. managing security officers then? I was. I had 130 in Essex, yeah. At 23? At 23, yeah. I bet that was an interesting. Was yeah. To make it even more fun, Mark, when they, when I, when I came on in this management development program, yeah. I was like, put me in the worst centre. I don't know why I said that. No. And this was back in the days when anyone listening to this, Reliance was a, a really famous brand. You know I, I know Reliance really well. Yeah, I mean, to Brian be fair. King and, yeah, and, I, and all that. It was a very, very good story of how a business grew. Like, yeah. I think they were nearly bigger than G4S at one point. They, yeah. Right. In the UK, they were, yeah. I mean, I, I actually used to work for Securitas when they yes. acquired okay. Reliance. So yeah. I used to work with a few people from the Reliance days. Yeah. And you know what it's like when a company acquires yeah. another company. They kind of hark back to the good old days yeah. and things like that. But I believe the technology business still exists, doesn't it? Does. It? Reliance it does. Technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So the, the nice thing about the, the scheme I was on is I went to spend as part of my induction a couple of weeks in each business. Mm. Um, so I actually went to a prison and because they were doing prisoner escorting and yeah, that stuff. Yeah, there. They I were, spent yeah. some time in the tech business and it was fascinating. But I, for some reason, was put into Chelmsford. Uh-huh. For some reason, I said put me in the worst performing no, centre. And honestly, Mark, I d- didn't need that. Honestly, I, I just I don't know how I got through it. Like, I, do, I know how challenging that environment can be. I worked in it for years, so I get it. You know, yeah. fair play to you for yeah. But I mean, the thing is, I, I guess there. the story of my career, which is really like what, what you're asking, is doing things that other people don't want to do. Yeah, learning a skill that 
maybe some other people take five years to learn. So I basically learned five years of contract management in about 18 months. Well, you'd have to, yeah. Well, because I had customers terminating, yeah. staff refusing to work, people missing payroll. It was yeah. awful. Recruitment. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you're not doing it in a stable environment, you basically mm. got, like the guy I had to go from basically gave me a, a fight because this is paper. This <laughs> yeah, is like, back in the day. Yeah. Remember paper people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you look back at it now, I barely had a phone. I mean, it yeah. was like, and I used to, I used to drive around in my, in my Astra. Um, and every time, and the phone used to ring like a hundred times a day. Yeah. Blowouts, all sorts of horrendous things, angry customers. Yeah. And I always say the funny thing is, when I, they took six months of hard work to get the trust with the customers and the staff, right? Yeah. And then my phone used to ring once or twice a day. Right. But it used to be horrendous. Really. So actually, a hundred calls, you would be up. <laughs> there were. I could yeah. deal with most of them quite easily. Mm. When, but then I used to drive around my Astro and when it rang, I used to literally just shake because I was, it literally was like no. horrendous because you knew that call was going to be awful. horrendous. Really? Like someone's really ill, someone's died, someone's yeah, dead. Like yeah, it was always yeah. something, yeah. crisis is going on right. in, in a team of that size Okay, um, and, and, and the sort of roles those people are doing. So that was character building. Yeah, so it sounds like it probably gave you a really good grounding. It did. In terms yeah. of, and I mean, the one great thing I think about managing in that security yeah. environment is just the diverse nature of the people that, that you would be managing yeah. as well. So you, you're looking after so many different characters, yeah. probably brought on your management Well, skills. what, what, there's a really good point actually. So what I think without that is I was not the manager I thought I was going to be. Right, okay. Right. So I thought I was going to be quite a hard manager. Yeah. And actually, what I learned was that I like to see the best in people. Yeah, and I think the theoretical when you're a manager, you're theoretical how you think it's going to be to how it actually is. is yeah, very yeah, different. yeah. So I had a lot of people that were a lot older than me. Like I was 23 for Christ's sake. So I was like, I had to lean on these guys' experience. So there were security managers on. Like, I remember this guy um, Dave uh, in Procter and Gamble in Thurrock running right. this huge factory, yeah. Gillette razors. Yeah, right? yeah, a million pounds a lorry. Mm. because they used to ship them out from there. So people would wait and, and try and hijack them. Yeah, they would do. Yeah. So this security manager like, was amazing. Yeah. And, and he was very, very good person to learn from in terms of how he used to talk to his staff, how he built loyalty. Yeah. So you, you very much learn like what works, and I could try stuff out. Yeah. Um, people took, obviously, because I, I would say I was quite soft. I was, like, I was trying to see the best in people. People yeah, took yeah. advantage of me. That so happens you, so, well, so you learn the hard way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I had to let a few people go. I, yeah. I went through the whole process of, um, disciplinaries and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. Also, people in quite hard parts of their life, like if you miss their pay, it's a massive issue. Well, it is in those industries, yeah. though. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and and I think I think that was a real eye opener. I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. I don't think I saw a friend of mine for about eighteen months. Right. Um, I didn't sleep a lot. No. Because security's twenty four seven. I didn't it think is. about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah think yeah. about that. Yeah. Most security officers work when you sleep. Yeah, yeah. They right. Do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about any of that stuff. I was just like, sure, I was just going to manage some people. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned so much about how and that management style has stayed with me I think yeah. that, as you say like it was a it was like a, a forced environment to learn very quickly how yeah. I needed to get stuff done well I guess it helped you identify what your strengths and weaknesses are as well like yeah. quite early on as well at a very young yeah. age you, you, you were clearly able to identify where you were strong, where you were weak, where changes needed to, to, to be made yeah. and so on. You know? And to be fair, I mean, like I said, I know the environment really, yeah, really, yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, I've, I've sat in some disciplinaries for some of the things security officers have done. And I ain't going to say anything, but, you know, there's some interesting cats out it's there. A tough, it's a tough part of society. We might come and talk about this later on, but people yeah. in those roles, cleaning, security jobs, mm. like, it's not the easiest life. No. Right? And actually, I think that the more support and the more... Um, rapport you can build mm. you get more done so i learned as a manager very quickly is to cover i didn't want to do a shift myself because no. i would be doing shifts not sleeping it wasn't the yeah, right thing yeah. so um actually that very much was my claim to fame in the end was that i managed to get to the point where the team would cover 
Yeah. Right? So we had good ways of working, good structure. Yeah. And all it was was, and, and this is an underused word in management, and I use this a lot now, is consistent. Yeah. If I said I was going to be there next Tuesday, I was there next Tuesday. Yeah. Right. If I said I was going to do something, I did it, or I yeah. rang you and said this is why I haven't done it. Yeah. And that stays with me to today. Yeah. And that's the only way I could get out of the pickle I was in with the customers is I was ultra honest. Yeah. About it being bad. Yeah. And try and defend it. Right. And then everything I said in my plan, I did or I explained. You would fix it. And that has yeah. stayed with me for 20 years after that. Well, not quite 20 years, but it's, yeah. it's, it's those building blocks of, and that's why I wanted to do it, learn a skill, managing people and customers in a tough environment. Yeah. So that was my exposure to facilities management to start with. Yeah. Was on that side. And my, my exit plan was always to go out into another part of the Reliance group. So they were like, like go and do that operational job. Yeah, then yeah, go and yeah. Do something and else. then go do something else. And that's where the sales piece came in. So yeah, because I, like, I was quite surprised yeah. when I stalked you on LinkedIn yeah. earlier and saw yeah. that you used to be in sales. Um, tell us a little bit about that because I always find it, because I'm in sales, obviously, yeah. so I always find it quite interesting when people with more of an operational background, because to be fair, I actually think that they, they're generally quite successful, if I'm honest, because they really understand the boots on the ground scenario. Yeah. What was your... So, um, again, so let's go back to my whole game plan with my career was building skills. So mm. if I, I wanted to be... CEO of a business, I want to run a business. My view was you needed to be able to lead people. Yeah. You need to be able to run PL. So that yeah. was the commercial side of things. And then you needed to be able to sell your business. Because yes. actually, if you break it down, that's what shareholders want to know. They oh, want course, to know yeah. you've got a story that you can sell it. And then the people beneath you need to understand that you can actually grow a business. No one yeah. wants to work for a shrinking business. No. So I was like, right, so let's go and get some sales experience. I learn from someone that does it well. Yeah. And I tell you, I, again, for people listening, I, if you get the opportunity to work in sales, you learn so much. Yes. Because like people now are like, oh, you're really good at presentations, but I was like, I've probably done about 800 yeah. in sales, right? Yeah. And my first ones were terrible. Yes. Right? Everything in business is practice, right? You've got to have of exposure course. and practice. Yeah. So, so sales was interesting for me because I wanted to learn how to do it. Yeah. So I moved on to the sales side of Reliance mm. um, and the, the CEO they just brought in there, actually it was a lot, it was a lot moved on quite quickly. So, um, there was a lot of flux in Reliance at that time. Yes. So the new, the next chap that came in, a guy called Paul Crilly, actually. I know Paul. Just, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, was incredibly supportive of this, what was I then, 25-year-old guy that, that wanted to change the world, which is yeah. basically where I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was, a, there was a guy called Michael O'Hallahan as well who'd done a lot of big outsourcing deals. So I was quite happy for a little while. I was like, look, do you know what? I'm learning. Yeah. But then you have that moment when you realise – Nobody wants to buy buy the brand anymore. Yeah, right? Reliance has had its time. And that's really difficult when you're in it. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, so I've been there. Yeah, I've, so I know you're sort of sitting there and you're thinking because, like, again with that security job, my whole thing was when you have a bad day, why am I doing it? Yeah. So when I was sobbing in my Astra, which yeah. did happen from time to time, <laughs> um, I, I would be like, "You do this to get a yeah. skill, Mark. This is this is why." Bit of Celine Dion yeah. in the background. So the same with sales. Is it, like, it's, it's a bit of a trudge, right? Because mm. sales. Even if you're doing well, you win one in three, two in three bids. Yeah. That means 56% of your career is, in sales is a failure, just yeah. by definition. It's negative, yeah. Yeah, so that's a mindset, right? So yeah. I wanted to learn that. But if everything's negative, yeah. you're not really learning. So I was oh. like, so, but I'm quite loyal. So I was like, look, I'm just going to see this through. And then I got a phone call um, to go and talk to Dow Keir, as it was at the time. Right. And a chap called Ian Howarth, who was the um, sales director there. Okay. And I met him, and I was just like, do you know what? I could learn a lot. This is a proper... It's a yeah. sophisticated sales team yeah, yeah. that knows how to sell. Yeah. And they joined, and I was terrible. Really? Oh, God, was I bad. Um, like, I probably should have gone a couple of times because um, it was a team of 20 or 30 people, right? And, yeah. it, and it, was a, it was very much a meritocracy. So if you weren't doing very well, yeah. there was a cycle of people in and out of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that natural churn. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you'll know this in sales, right? So you've got to get the, you've got to get the solution right. You've got yeah. to get the price right. You've got to get the relationship right. Yeah. 
You need all three. Yes. And I, for years, I could only get two out of the three. Yeah. It was always different. Yeah. Right. And I met various moments um, in that first it, two years. It does take a while to click, well, though, I, just I couldn't, think. It's, I couldn't it, get it. It's experience, Mark. But that's it a lot is. of it. It's an yeah. undervalued skill sales. Yeah, that's yeah, what I say. Yeah. It's like, I didn't want to be the guy running one of these businesses one day and not have any empathy with the sales guys. Exactly. Because I think there's a lot of people that are overjudgmental of salespeople and say, it's easy. Yeah. Right. How difficult can it be? It ain't easy. But actually, particularly in built business to businesses, which we, yeah. we sit in, it is phenomenally difficult. Yep. Um, and I've got such a lot of respect for having done it for over five years now. Mm. But what, so, what, so what happened was, uh, I wouldn't say it finally clicked. I think the industry moved on. Yeah. <laughs> so it went a lot, a lot less around relationship and much more on solution. Yes. And yes. then, um, the, the, so Mighty bought Dalkir in that intervening period. So I joined right. Dalkir and about six weeks later, Mighty bought it. Right. And I'd always promised never work to work, never work for Mighty. Because mm-hmm. on the security side, they were winning loads of work off Reliance. So yeah. you sort of have this view of a brand, right? Yeah. So I was like... I, I remember Mighty growing. Yeah. Um, they were winning a lot of work off where I was yeah. at the time as well. And they were aggressive. Oh, very aggressive. They were really aggressive. aggressive yeah. And they were buying business. Price-driven as well, yeah. very much But so. it's amazing how you sort of talk yourself into it. Like, like, and this is like sort of younger markers, like, I'd never work for them. Yeah. I remember phoning my dad, like, off the access, I was like, oh, I'll leave, haven't I? Yeah. And he was like, why don't you just give it six months? And I'm yeah. glad I did. Yeah. Because that was the formative part of my career, right? So really? I went into my tea, chap called Steve Foxley, who's the MD of London, picked right. up that whole piece. Yeah. Um, and he asked me to be head of sales for London at 28. Wow, that's a big responsibility. But it, but it was a statement for him. Yeah. He was like, I don't want to do it the old school way. I don't want people meeting in pubs doing deals. I want to do it properly. Yeah. Um, and I want to get a reputation for coming up with really innovative FM yeah. solutions because yeah, that was yeah. the M&E part yeah. when Delkey was bought. But we broadened very much into FM. So we did went on to do loads of cool deals, Universal Music, City of London, yeah. big M&E deal for, for, um, for, for London, as you can imagine. That was the yeah. first time outsource. And we had this really talented group of people that knew how to put a bid together, knew how to create a wow factor, and then operators that would come in and, and close yeah, the deal. they could deliver. Yeah, because yeah. what I learned very quickly was actually that was what you were getting the buy-in from the, from the client, really, was that the operator was actually going to stand behind it and deliver it. Yeah, I say that all the time. You know, you, yeah. you can't, yeah, my my view on sales, and I've had this for years. There's no point me sitting in a presentation talking to the client because I'm not going to deliver yeah. it. Um, it's the operator that will deliver yeah. it. So it's really important to entrench that relationship at the early yeah. stages, you know, rather than just that salesperson that's going to do it and then bugger off. Yeah, and also I think it was a good assessment in terms of like I had some true salespeople in my team that were natural sales guys. Just yeah. get out of the way. Yeah, like my job. That was the first role, and I've had many others after where I was building a team. Yeah, rather than being the main sales guy, because I think again in sales, you're good at sales. Yeah, people promote you to manage the team. They do. That's not always the right answer because no. actually, great salespeople tend to be a little bit more mavericky. Yeah, they tend to work better on their own. Disorganized, and they need, and they, and they yeah. need support structures around them to yeah, be yeah. successful. They do. Suddenly, you give them four other salespeople the same behaviours, you put mm. stress on yeah. them. So I, I learned a lot from that. Right, and that's why I ended up staying in sales for longer than I, I thought. I thought I'd do a couple of years to learn that skill. Mm. Learn how to present, learn how to do commercial negotiations. Yeah. But I quite enjoyed it. Right. Um, and when you're on a bit of a wave in London, we were winning stuff, we were building something that was a bit different. Yeah. Um, I ended up staying in, in, in there for five years, yeah. Wow. And then you transitioned back to a more operational role. Well, then I was a little bit unsure what to do. Right. Because I'd, by that point, I'd done my people management, sales, a bit of marketing. Yeah. So then I really needed some like more senior ops, I guess. And how old were you at this stage? Uh, just late twenties, so still very young, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. in terms of your yeah, career. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, um, so that, so then there was some, but this is a good thing, right? So when you were with a company for a few years, so I had some um, 
credibility in the bank with my team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a couple of people that then sort of started, started, and this is what I think happens really, is you get to some point people create a role for you. Yeah. If you've got that credibility in the bank. So there was a role in a business that we'd uh, acquired, um, which needed a bit of technology we needed bringing in. But that then morphed into a, like a transformation director. Oh, really? Role. Right. Um, because from a top down, mighty, we're looking to be more efficient and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up with this really random, cool job where I was like transformation director for mighty mm. technical facilities management, which is four and a half thousand engineers. Yeah. And a team of like 12 people again, where it was like IT people, never yeah. managed IT people before, but that right. was all like the Maximo CAFM system type setup. Yeah. 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 Um, and some change people. So we had yeah. some classical change roles. And I was very much learning from this central team of management consultants that was theoretically applying models to our business. And yeah. my job was to say, right, well, actually, do we think we can get to those efficiencies? How do we deliver those programs? Yeah. Fascinating. Really? But it means you really go under the hood of a, of, of a business because yeah. you have to look at the people, the systems, the processes. Right. Did a lot around Lean Six Sigma. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And again, not an expert in any of these areas, mm. but very much exposed, learn, listen, pick these things up. And then my job in that situation and, and then following my career is bringing it all together. Yeah. So how do we how do we build a team to deliver that vision? Yeah. So you're like a conductor basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you, you've got you've yeah. got you've got the woods. You've got yeah. the strings. You've got the yeah, brass. Yeah. You're bringing it all together yeah. and trying to make some beautiful music, yeah. as they say. So that so that job was really interesting, and, right? And actually became really important to the job I'm doing now mm. because transformation skills, change skills are significant are, required. Are, are quite difficult to find yeah. at scale because normally um, people don't get that level of exposure. At that age again, so we're still. I'm still in my. I'm, I'm sort of 30, 31 here. Yeah. To level with mighty, which was good. Yeah. And um, also a lot of responsibility, Mark, on young shoulders. So to kind of delve into that, mm. um, you know, especially for people that are listening that that are looking at senior roles at a mm. young age, um, how how did you cope with the? Because look, there's pressure, there's stress associated with mm. it. How did you cope with that? Did you have mechanisms that you would use? That's a good question. So. Um, yeah, I mean, funny enough, one of the, my coping mechanisms was no matter my worst day in some of those stressful situations mm. was never as bad as being the security contract manager. So that would immediately <laughs> calm me down. Yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah. just take myself back to my Astro where like, yeah. I was like, right, it's not as bad as that. I'm not in the Astro, it's all right. But a lot of it's around your support network, right? right. So this Steve Foxy chap I mentioned, um, sadly died about 18 months ago, bless him. Right. But he, um, he was a safe space. And I think, Again, something people don't realise is that you don't have to be a superhero. No. You have to have your safe spaces. So I yeah. knew anything I said to Steve wasn't going to go any further. Yeah. He challenged me back in a safe environment. Yeah. And you basically have to find those ways of switching off. So for me, it was playing football at the weekends. Right. Being with my mates at the weekends. Yeah. Um, and then being strong enough to, to be wrong. So right. that was very much something that I had to work on was this like – because I've got quite a strong personality, mm. there was a view that actually once I'd spoken, that was it. Right. Especially when you're in a position and people are like, oh, there's a young guy, he's in charge, obviously he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I had to consciously at the start of the meeting say, do not assume I know anything about this. Yeah. Right? Please yeah. ask questions, check, because I am going to say stuff which sounds like I've made my decision. Yeah. It's just my style. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it was interesting because actually, strangely, that worked because people are like, oh, right, okay, so he doesn't know yeah. the answer. Right. But then you have your detractors that are like, well, why doesn't he know? Yeah. So you've got you're to always going to get that. You, so that what I learned on that was who's your actual support network that are on your side, mm. and who are the people that you you have to listen to. Yeah, but you don't you don't get too caught up in that because yes. otherwise you can second guess yourself. Well, you can also take it personally, can't you? And that's and, the problem. And, you know, the the reality is, 
I think that's the difficult bit. Yeah. You know, not taking things personally in a professional setting. When I mean, look, I've never led teams like you have, um, but I have led teams in the past. And, and it's very, I, I think it's quite important to sort of disassociate yourself from that if you mm. can. Um, but that's difficult. That's yeah, and, and, it, and, and that's why you need these safe spaces and you mm. need stuff that's very much like outside of work that's not related to that. Yeah. Because otherwise you, I think your ego can overtake a little bit. Yeah, and, it can. And, and I think that was always what I was very aware of is I didn't want to become arrogant. Right, right. I think there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Agreed. And, and, and actually being a young director, yeah, big team. So my next mm. job within Mighty was for another, I think it was another 120 people. Right. Um, but energy managers, BMS division. Yep. Uh, Energy Bureau in Northampton, wow. which used to be called Utilix. Mm. Um, so that was my next job. That was Operation Director of Mighty Energy. Mm. And that so, was tough because then you're dealing with people that are what I would call classically trained. So they've yeah. come up through engineering apprenticeships and qualifications. And, and actually, when somebody then head of your team, you don't have that same connection to say, oh, well, they were a great engineer or they really know energy management. Yeah, How yeah, do you build yeah. that rapport and respect with the yeah. team? They're like, well, why are you doing the job? Yeah, yeah, you know, that that's quite an interesting thing, especially when you're a young person. Yeah, very much so. So going back to Steve, hmm. would, would you say that Steve was a mentor at those yes. early stages of yeah. your career? And and how and how important to you was that at that time? Was was that something that that you felt you really needed? Did yeah. you did you go out and pursue it, Mark, or was it something that just kind of naturally happened? And how I get kind of a three part question, yeah. I suppose. And how beneficial was that to you and your career? Oh, massively. I mean, I, so there's a, there's a couple of things there. So I was thinking about this. I'm not sure everyone understands the difference between mentoring and coaching. Yep. Right? So coaching, just to be clear for anyone listening, um, is very much about people asking you good questions and you find the answer yourself. Yes. Mentoring is very much about giving people the benefit of your experience. Yes. So it's much more directive, much more I would do this, I would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a great coach. Right. I'm a decent mentor. Yeah. Right. Because I think coaching is different skill sets. And similarly, at different times in your career, you need different things. Mm. So Steve was a mentor. Right. He was very much like, don't do this. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Can I borrow you for five minutes? What on earth are you doing? Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, not, you can pick up the phone. Not, not, not like, how do you think you could have handled that better? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's like, that's a very different thing. Yeah. And, and actually, so for that first couple of roles, that was very, very important to me in terms of like, so because he used to say to me, you'd be a terrible poker player. Yeah, because I can just see the steam coming out of your ears, and really? you would say it over and over again until I developed that ability. Where actually, someone at Capital then said to me, "You never seem very ruffled." I was like, "Steve would be delighted with that." Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was a, it was a skill set I had to learn, which was um, again the concept of this consistency bit. Never yeah. always, never being massively happy yeah. and massively sad. Yeah, like no team wants that. No one wants no, to come no, in and no, see no. what moods he in today. Like yeah. good news, woohoo, and bad yeah. news. This is awful. So actually, Steve was great at holding that line. So when something good happened, he would come up a little bit. Yeah, so it bad happened. You would go down a little bit, but you, would all, you always knew what you were going to get. So do you think stoicism is something that's helped you then? Because resilience. That's kind of, kind resilience, of is. resilience is the word. I think right. one, of, one, of, one of my key attributes is resilience. Right. And okay. I think I learned a lot of that from the, the security contract manager job. Yeah. And it's probably part of, like, um, coded in my DNA as well. But yeah. being resilient to get up and go again, getting things wrong, having another crack at it. Yeah. Being strong enough where someone says to you, that wasn't good. Yeah. Have another go. Yeah, the ability that, to make mistakes. The ability to make mistakes in a safe environment. Yeah. Um, is important. Mm. So I think, so that was really important. But then strangely, actually, um, I needed coaching. Yeah. So my transition from Mighty to Capital was about why am I, I'm not stuck, but what, what, like I was 33 or something. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking, well, like 
I think I've probably done what I need to do at Mighty. Yeah. Mighty was going through a lot of change. Yeah. The CEO was leaving and, and all the stuff's coming in. So you sort of think, right, now's the right time to go off the bus. So that's where you use, I use coaching to be really clear in my mind what I was going to do next. Yeah, but that's really interesting. Yeah. Nobody said that to us before. So no. you, you kind of wanted to invest in your career yourself. So you went out and searched for ways to develop yourself externally as opposed to... I think what I wanted to do, and this is, and again, for people listening, for me, is like, you've got to view your career in stages. Mm. So for me, 20 to 30 was skills acquisition. Yeah. 30 to 40 was about bringing it all together. Yeah. And starting to make demonstrable impact. Yeah. And then the next phase of my career is going to be about that more scaled up version of that so how, how, how does that become much more um productionized more political more policy driven how do we make real changes in the industry i have to say mark i absolutely love that breakdown mm. what a fantastic breakdown so anybody listening um you know really take that on board because that is such a that's the best way i've heard it i've heard it um espoused is probably the best way but, you know, but mark, everyone's in a rushing career right yeah so i was thinking about coming to this podcast it's like I want that job. I want that salary. Yeah. It's not about getting to 100 grand. It's no. about staying there. Yes. And you know, even more importantly than that, it's not all even about earning 100 grand. Like no. everyone, uh, when, when I talked about it, it was about, I want this director job, I want this. Hmm. The biggest question is why? Yeah. And that's why you need coaching, right? Because actually, you don't have that long on this planet in the grand scheme of things. No. Not everyone was born to be a leader. Not everyone's no. not born to be a CEO. Um, you want to get to a job and you want it to be sustainable. Mm. And that might mean it takes you 10 years to get there and someone else takes five years. Yes. It's not a competition. No. Right? True. Actually, it's a long career, 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Everyone's always in a rush to be a director by 30, do this by 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not necessarily willing to make the risk. So the reason I would say that I transitioned relatively quickly is I took jobs, as I said earlier, that people wouldn't really look at. Yeah. So I've been head of sales for a, for a business, M&E business. Yeah. Um, a, I had to be given the opportunity, but B, I had to want to do it. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. That security contract manager, a lot of people at that time were like, why are you doing that, Mark? Mm. You're taking a sideways step for the same money. Yeah. You're going to lose your life for a year or so. Yeah. Why, why would you do that? And yeah. I was like, big picture. Yeah. I want to bring all these skills together at some point. I don't know what job. I don't know what it is. But ultimately, that was the plan. Yeah. Rather than, I want to, do, I want to be this MD by 25. I want to be that by this. I want to be earning this money by that. I think if you're good at what you do, you build that skills, the opportunities will come. Yeah, I generally believe that, and it's been proven that way in my in my career. Mark, I want you to coach me, mate. Honestly, I swear <laughs> down, I really do. Um, yeah. I, I really love um, how you you know articulate how how your career is transpired. Mm. Um, obviously, now you, you're with LG. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know that that's you know you've been there quite a considerable period of time um, in various roles. Um, how did that come about, and how has obviously your career has developed? How have you developed that career? Yeah. So. Um, the capital stage was quite interesting for me because when I was at university, capital was seen as the big outsourcing yes, dream. Yes, they were. New yes. labour and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I was like, I'd always wanted to work for capital because outsourcing, strangely, had been a bit of a passion of mine. So that's a strange thing to say, but I found it quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so I saw the job there. Uh, the first time yeah. we actually ever interacted, Mark, was when okay. we were at capital. Really? Yes. Yeah, we interacted over LinkedIn many, many moons ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's mental, that, when you think about it. Well, it's a small industry. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, we might have time to work, but it's like, I think that the brand you build, you never know where you're going to meet people again. Yeah, agreed. And and that's what I'm quite conscious of in this uh, in, in this role I'm in now. Yeah. And not everybody that listens to this might agree with that, but I try and be incredibly fair yeah. um, and accessible. Okay. Because you never know what job I'm going to do in five years' time. That's right? true. So, yeah. Um, I think it's really important to do that. But, yeah, the capture job was hard. Really? Yeah, because I think it was one of those jobs where I wanted to be it to be something that it wasn't. 
Right. And again, it was joining a business in that part of the cycle where they're on the downturn. Yes. A bit like when I joined Reliance Capital, it had its time. Yeah. So effectively, what that job became was a close down of the property management function. Wow. Um, I joined on day one and very much realized that the investor clients were, were moving out. And that, right. interestingly, so this links into your question about LNG. It's like when I was at Mighty, I'd sort of seen that because I'm a big passionate about smart buildings and doing yeah, things yeah, in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Pension funds have money. Yes. So I was like, how do I get into the pension fund industry? So right. I saw that capital role. I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. Managing agent, learn how to be a managing agent. So I joined as like operations director. Within about two months, I was managing director of that business, mm. um, which had about 100, well, it was 300 people in total. About 100 of them were on-site people. Right. About 100 of them, 150 were surveyors. Right. And 50 or 60 facilities managers. Yeah. Um, and that was tough. Yeah. Because basically we lost all of our business. So right. I went, my business, that business went from 300 people to about 30 in about 12 months. That must have been tough. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. And we had our second child in the middle of all that as well. No. Yeah. Oh, so God. it was tough. But do you know what? Look, life is what you make of it. Yeah. So again, going back to what I said earlier, my head was like, the reason I've done this job mm. is because I want to get access to the pension fund industry. Yeah. I want to change the proposition and I want to learn how to... to managing agents work yes so no matter what was going on yeah i got real exposure to service charges really understand what surveyors do property yeah, managers yeah, yeah. um listening to clients about what had gone wrong right and how that might work yeah yeah and then again and this is why you can't plan your career too much i will still remember the email popped in from another part of capita the customer service part and they're like we've met this client lng um and they want to do something completely different with their property management business they think some the answer something to do with facilities management and smart buildings can you come and meet them with us? And that was the start. So got in a room of LNG and they were like, look, really? we, don't, we don't want to just be a passive investor anymore. We want to be an active investor. We've got a lot of ambition. So mm. Bill Hughes, who heads that business up, yeah. um, was very, very articulate, actually in a States Gazette or EG, um, of saying he wanted to make it a customer-focused industry, which means they had to be less passive as a landlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. effectively that's what my part of the business is. It's not yeah. corporate LNG. Mm. It's all the investments. There's 750 Properties across the UK in about 20 different fund structures. Wow. Everything from hotels, uh, built to rent residential blocks, to shopping yeah. centres, to offices, everything. So a very diverse portfolio. Very diverse portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pension funds are very relaxed about collecting the rent. Yes. And letting JLL and Savills and people manage their portfolio. Yeah, yeah. The bill yeah. was very clear, and this is what you, in change you need it. As a leader, I want to change. Yeah. And I want to take that three or four year cultural journey that goes around that. Right. So I didn't meet him immediately, but I remember meeting his team. And mm. I read that article and I was like, if we can get this to stand up, I can bring all of my ideas here. Mm. And it brings facilities management into the strategy. Yeah. Because with surveyors, surveyors are very much classically trained around RICs. Yeah. Facilities management is something that's often under-resourced, under-understood. Yes. Supply chain relationships are quite yeah, homogenous, yeah. one size fits all. Yeah. So we came up with this strategy called Mercury. Mm. And then the capital piece was sort of getting to the end of its life. Right. And, I, and I sort of said to LNG, do you want me to deliver it for you? Yeah. And I said, yeah, amazing, oh. absolutely amazing. So you kind of created a role for yourself. I did, yeah. But that, that yeah. is what I did at Mighty, yeah. and that's what I did at LNG. So you could argue I had to um, have the opportunity, mm. which is very true. Like, I think a few things had to align there, but also I had to see it. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like when you're building your career, you've almost got to work out when you're getting your head down to get a skill. Yeah. And when you need to get your head up and say, right, now I'm ready to take that opportunity. Even if it, it doesn't like tick all the boxes which yeah. it probably didn't for me because I was joining as a consultant yeah 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 and course, yeah. that was the first time in 10 years I hadn't had a team for over over, over 100 people I bet that was weird it was very odd yeah I used to come into the office and basically like 
What just, am I going to do today? I just like, I just like, <laughs> there's only so many times I can rework this PowerPoint. So yeah. I know what I want to do. I'm very yeah. action orientated. Yeah. But I still had to go through all the process of getting people on board and taking wow. people on a journey. Yeah. Um, classical change sort of theory. So you but, kind of built it from. Yeah. But it's amazing what it is now. So, like, yeah. we, we have literally completely turned it on its head. The Mercury model is about. How do we work together? So there's 30 asset managers yeah. that are Elgin, and they've mm. all got their own business strategies. Yeah. And what we've very much said is that each building is its own business. Yes. So there's about 300 of the 750 that are quite passive. They're like yeah. log income, like Amazon warehouse and stuff like that. Mm. But the rest of them, they've got their own story. So right. we had to surface our brand. We had to be yeah. really clear what we're doing on that industrial estate in York versus that office building in Bristol. Right. Build the supply chain around that. Yeah. Um, and 100% it's all culture. Yeah. If our asset managers didn't believe in it, mm. then they wouldn't spend time with the people that we put in place. And then our partners, so our main partners in this area are JLL, Savills, Bellrock, Workman, and then Urban Bubble on the residential side. Right. Um, and they've all bought into this way of working, which is very much data-led. Yeah. So I have two data science guys in my team. We really? send out the performance measures. Right. So we do KPIs quarterly, but monthly yeah, yeah. we do a look ahead and says, this is how we think that asset is performing. Right. Okay. So the granularity is there. Yeah. And what people say to me is that working in this model, the transparency is quite tough to live with to start with. Yeah, yeah. But when you realize that actually you're never going to get in trouble for telling us the truth. Yeah. You get these amazing emails. So like, like on the offices, which is where we started the scorecards, there's 42 multi-let offices across the UK. Mm. It's like a monthly finance report goes out. Yeah. It goes to the asset manager, the service delivery manager at Bellrock, who was a role we invented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a second. yeah. And then the property manager, which is your classical surveyor. Right. They all get that email at the same time. And the, a lot of the measures cross-connect. Really? And now, three or four years on, naturally, they just jump in. So when it's their f- issue, it's them, they'll just come in onto the loop. I'm copied onto every single one, and they'll say, actually, um, this is with me. I need to do this, or I need to do that. Or I might jump in and say, what's going on with this? And I, I don't get yeah. a defensive question. I just get, look, I can't get X, Y, and Z to do this. And I was like, well, do you want some help? Or like The culture we've created around performance yeah. is special. It's, so it's really it's, special. It's, it sounds to me, and correct, correct me if I've got this wrong, but it's like you've created a competitive nature within your organisation. Exactly what it is. In a healthy way, not because yeah. some com- yeah. competitiveness can be healthy yeah. and it can be non-healthy yeah. depending on how it develops. But to me, it sounds like what you've done is create a scenario where these guys are like, yeah. like I want that this month. Our building's going to be at the top. We're going to do X, Y, Z to drive that forward. Absolutely. We have league tables in regions. We have yeah. all sorts of competitions between the teams. because. But what we so the Bellrock team is 42 people now mm. building managers facilities managers these sdm roles yeah they only work on elgin funds right right okay. so because in in the managing agent world of facilities management normally yeah. you have like one for fm across 20 buildings usually yeah royal london aviva mm. elgin in the past and that's not fair because the property managers normally are quite account allocated yeah the fms are like geographically allocated yes they have limited control over the supply chain yeah because um, they have to use these national frameworks yeah um and therefore it's a tough job yes now, I mean, I'm not saying we're perfect, but the, 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 what we've built within our FM function is that freedom within reason yeah. around supply chain. There has to be a logical reason for it. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, um, that's up. But we've gone from, when we, when we moved it all over, 63 suppliers to over 200 now. Wow. Because we're really driving an SME piece as well. So yeah. where we've got, particularly around landscaping, some cleaning, yeah. trying to drive some local businesses into the supply chain and support their growth. Yeah. Um, but I think... Yeah, what makes it special is that the PMs stay as well. So the PM, the property managers, the surveyors are very much like in my other customers. Yeah. Well, I have to accept sometimes they have other customers. Yeah, yeah, of um, course, yeah. 
we have to do, we oversee all the facilities management, all that sort of stuff. In Mercury, I can just do the strategic piece. So they still yeah. have to deal with service charge, but they are much more advised in the asset managers in terms of net zero carbon, right. what we're going to do around expenditure on the building, mm. lease management. That's very much in our world. Yeah. So I see our property managers being the creme de la creme of property managers. Right. So I want to be famous in the industry where you get more time with asset managers, more time on the strategic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And similarly with FM, like we should be, in my mind, uh, a training factory for the industry because you come in and you get time with asset managers. Like we've, we've basically equalized those roles. Mm. So this service delivery manager is like an account manager of facilities management world. So they're a layer right. yeah, that yeah, manages yeah. our FMs. So we still have FMs. Right. But they, they have a peer relationship with the property manager right. and, that, and the asset manager. So they live in this triangle. So they have yeah. their calls together. In the early days, they used to take each other off emails and try and throw each other under the bus. Yes. Yeah. But they don't do that anymore. Right. Because what I've said to them is you, the, the LGM asset manager, you're the leader. Mm. So you have to have the behaviours and principles that you are going to support your team. Yeah. And honestly, Mark, it is amazing. Like I have to be honest, I love that. It's yeah, so, so cool. Yeah, it done. sounds really cool. But really LNG does. had to give me the time because any cultural change... It takes time. Takes yeah. years. Yeah, of course yeah. it does. And yeah. COVID accelerated, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but forming relationships, and I look at now, my big test is when, why does someone leave our portfolio? Yeah. So like exit interviews, I always ask the people... Not direct, but like the, the companies give me a good explanation. Mm. Um, because if we're losing people because they're getting paid for a couple of grand, that's wrong. Yeah. If the job's not challenging enough, that's wrong. What on earth are we doing? Yeah, if yeah, we can yeah. offer someone a career opportunity, maybe that's fair. Yeah, because ultimately you can't keep everyone happy. We can't. No. No, no, not 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 when you're talking about an organisation at the scale you're talking yeah. about. You know, you can't. It's impossible. It does from a training perspective, Mark. Um, because I'm, I'm guess does this build into you know churn? You know, do do you do quite a bit from a churning perspective to 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 develop your guys? Um, yeah, no, yeah. We do. I mean, formal training is very much down to the individual businesses, right? So we obviously we we manage them as a group. So mm-hmm. I have a leadership group of JLL, Savills, Workman, Bellrock, um, um, Bubble people with specialists my side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our team. So we very much run it as like this is how we want to run. Yeah. Our, uh, portfolio yeah but that's blended with their own training programs and their like i need to allow those companies to differ- differentiate right yeah of course that, yeah. That, it's yeah, that yeah, healthy yeah. competition because everyone yeah. like Barrett, no, if they're not performing jll Savills, and workman can do fm yeah and similarly workman know that jll would be more than delighted to take a fund off them yeah yeah so, of course because yeah. we've got these yeah. different entities and it's yeah. such a big portfolio you can do these really cool things yeah so training we over lay over the top tends to be more around our ambitions yes so net zero carbon Right, and we'll look. I was and social value is the big one. We've done a social value framework this year, yeah. and we had to have five or six calls with fifty or sixty people on each to train it out. Right, yeah. So it's cool. Like yeah. we've got this really cool structure now where people are really responsive to Elgin. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that supply it goes down to supply chain levels. So we have an annual yeah. supplier conference, mm. which I go to for two days. Yep, and that's the opportunity for our suppliers to. Talk to talk to us as a team. Yeah. Explain what they're thinking, where things aren't going so well. Yeah, because I'm very conscious around things like payment days. Like yes, debt. like I want us to be, and we are very good in this area, mm. but we're not perfect. No, so I need to hear what's actually going on, and so that you can to, make yeah. the, the, well, the so we can be supportive. Yeah. There's yeah, no point yeah. having a supportive culture where your suppliers feel like they are treated as a third class citizen. That's not what we're trying to create. Yeah, it's really interesting. It sounds like a really cool place to work, actually. I've got one of the best jobs in the world, generally. Yeah. Like, so if, is this is this is this the retirement place? Is this the rest of your career, or is, are you going to get that? I was hoping you weren't going to ask that question. That itch at some point in the future where you want to take on something yeah. a little bit more challenging. Do you know what? I I think it would have to be some job to replicate what I've got here. Yeah. What's your views on it? You know, how do you see it evolving over the next five years? 
Yeah, I mean, that legislation is going to have to get tighter yeah. uh, around the E in ESG. So Agreed. Um, already in the investor market, you're seeing smarter investors wanting to see data, granular data. Yeah. We're very much talking about walking the talk. Yeah. So it's all very good to have a policy, but what you're actually doing. So I think... We have not, that conversation yeah. all the time, you know, myself and Ethan but, but all that, the time. But the market dynamics in my part of real estate are driving that, mm. right? So actually... Offices is something that people are always down about. Yeah. But people still want to rent high-quality, sustainable offices. Agreed. Right? And, yeah. and my view is that ports into pretty much any property type, but particularly industrial. Mm. If you can walk into one of our industrial estates, plug in, sign a PPA, um, and buy your energy from us, and you've saved carbon straight off the, the bat, yeah. that's a premium rent potentially. Yeah. And also a long-term retention piece. Agreed. But also for both parties reduces our scope three emissions and their scope one and two. So yeah. there's some really nice dynamics coming, which I think – Legislation will be a bit slow on. Mm. I think market forces from investors are going to push us there quicker, which right. is good news. And LNG is yeah. a responsible business. Yeah. S is harder. Yes. Because I think S is different to every pe- every um, every organization, strangely, depending on which part of the market they're in. It's subjective to the individual, yeah. isn't it? And always people try and, what I would say, do great case studies mm. rather than um, proper change at scale. Yes. So, yeah, it's great that you helped... I don't know, somebody back into work that might not have had a job. That's great. Can we replicate that across the UK? How do we make that a movement that other people then buy into? How do we do things that really do improve people's lives? Exactly. Um, And hidden workers is is probably the thing I'm most proud of in that space where I don't think many companies would have backed me on that as much as they have. So this is about... When when you say hidden work, tell it... Yeah, so this is an initiative we launched about 18 months ago, which was around trying to give... um, a bit more focus on cleaning, security, landscape in front of house roles. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of post-pandemic, how do we support people in those roles a bit more? Yeah, I like um, that. And then from my days as being a security contract manager where I could see the lack of sick pay yeah. it was pretty horrendous. Like people dragging themselves into work, yeah, not yeah, being able to yeah. do hospital appointments. Yeah. There's some pretty scary stats around life expectancy in this area. Which really? have really driven, yeah. Like if you're in one of those roles, bus driver, cleaner, security officer, your life expectancy would be about 10 years behind you and I. Really? Yeah. And, and there's I a number didn't of things. Know that. Yeah. Well, you think about it. Long shifts. Yeah. Poor sleep. Yeah. Poor nutrition. Yeah. Um, and then access to healthcare. If yeah. you've got to choose between going to work and feeding your family and going to the hospital to get diagnosed, you're not going to do it. No. So there's some really horrible stats about stage three, stage four cancer in those really? in those groups because people don't get an early diagnosis. Right. So we did that report. I sort of knew it was going to say something along those lines. We did some in-depth interviews. Could you share that with me? Yeah. I would love to yeah, see yeah, that yeah, report. No, I it's, really would. It's. Um, it's been a really interesting area. So then off the back of that, we made our commitments in our mm. supply chain. So we've dropped waiting days, right. pay sick pay um, at normal weight, at normal pay. And then we've introduced via our partners access to GPs through apps, yes. mental health services. Yeah. A lot of this stuff was already there, Mark, but yeah. it hadn't been rolled out to the front line. Yeah. So actually working with a number of our partners has been brilliant. So yeah. we, we're close to a 1,000 what I would call families, but individuals that work in our supply chain that have now got those benefits. Oh, well done. That's brilliant. Well so, done. Yeah, that's, that's been my proudest achievement this year. And it's a yeah. proper S. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, it, it makes a real difference. It makes a real difference um, to, to real people, well. yeah. um, you know, in, in, in real scenarios. Because, I mean, we chat about this quite a bit, you know, in, in our, how can we make a proper difference? And, we, you know, we've put some great initiatives mm-hmm. in place, but they're real, you know, day-to-day initiatives, non mm-hmm. You know, just doing something for the sake of doing it, you know. Well, and, and this is, uh, I think, with our SG teams, and I really like this, it's like doing something that wouldn't have happened without us. Yes. So it's like not just like 
not just saying we're doing things or supporting things with the stroke of a pen type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do we actually have to move politics or infrastructure? Because sick pay, you have to. It's really interesting working on the Safe Sick Pay campaign. Mm. It's watching how it's going through the polit- politicians. Yeah. So um, Amanda Waters, who runs that campaign, has met with Jeremy Hunt to talk right. about how that might work. Yeah. And, and obviously, with our support, we're showing it's possible mm. to to move in a different direction um, yeah. around that. So I, I'm I'm learning a lot around how that engagement piece that yeah. you can. Like yeah, hope, yeah, we've helped a thousand people so far, maybe. But really, I want to be able to help a couple of million people in the UK that don't get sick pay. Yeah, and that's by collaborating with different businesses, right? So actually, my job's become much more around that. How do you yeah. build coalitions of people around certain things, either internally or externally, to make yeah. things happen? So climate change and yeah. workers are two good examples of that. I completely think that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have similar conversations. You know, I do think that that's definitely the right attitude, the best way to go about it. Yeah. But really interesting. I'd love you, like I said, I'd like you to share Yeah, that share that. I mean, anybody listening as well, there's, there's there's quite a lot of material on this now. Mm. What I need is companies to do the right thing. Yes. Like, there's not a really strong argument um, not to do sick pay now because mm. the financials are reasonably one or two percent of a yeah. contract value. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. more the mechanism of how do you manage it, covering yeah. shifts that, we, that the industry needs to think about. But yeah, we've we've had some really good engagement in that area in the last twelve months. I'm really right. pleased. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, look forward to that. Okay, so technology. Um, mm. It's been a massive part of your career, by the sounds of it. Um, what, what do you see the future of AI being? How do you think that's going to yeah impact what we do? Um. So my fundamental issue with this area is that the FM industry is terrible process at the moment. Right. So lots of data in different spots in places. Yeah. I mean, M&E is an example. People still phone home desk saying they're too hot, too cold, and an engineer yeah, yeah. gets dispatched. Yeah. So I don't know where the machine learning, the blockchain, the AI type stuff comes in if the environment is pretty immature. Yeah. So, yes, I can see a place for AI, and, and mm. we're, we're going to pilot some things and and... and um, automation will come in in terms of how we yes. we have a whole program called Symphony. Yeah. Um, but my principle at the moment, as it stands, is I want to give the engineer the right tools to do the job. Yes. Rather than automate them out. Right. So, do I spend a lot of time thinking about AI in facilities management? Not at the moment, because right. I think we've got some fundamental building blocks we need to sort out. Yeah. Um, how we think about managing buildings. Yeah. Um, how we front that up and explain like the carbon footprint. Air quality is a great lens to manage buildings through. Yes. Slowly getting there. Yeah. Obviously, 10 years ago, I thought we'd turn the corner. Still turning that corner. Yeah. But moving from classical um, measures that we've got now to mm. more um, more strategic measures will allow things like AI and some of the cool tech that's coming down the road to be truly transformative. But I think we've got too much bad process yeah. in, in particularly M&E at the moment. Right, okay. That's. I mean, I, 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 as I say... I'm always open to learning on these things. Mm. Um, but that's as it stands today. I find, I find it difficult when I see a lot of tech to see the, the use case actually playing out of scale. Yeah, in yeah. one building. Yeah. But everything for me is about how does that affect 20 buildings? How does it affect 100 buildings? Yeah. Well, I think the issue at the minute, it doesn't really talk to each other, does it? No, exactly. that, you know, there's no, you know, um, I mean, if you're a building manager, for example, you've got multiple portals that you log on to to manage exactly. your cleaning, your security, yeah. your this, your that. You know, I mean, that that one space where everything's in, you know, yeah. an easy-to-use scenario would be quite useful. But well, yeah, exactly. And AI needs, like, common language indexing yes. of buildings. It needs to understand the patterns. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that AI is um, going to work with unstructured data, but if, if a lot of stuff in the database is either wrong yeah. or 
not hinged against, you're like, not, not interrelated. Right. Yeah. You've got to be able to get that stuff in a reasonably similar place. And again, somebody who listens to this might disagree with me, and I'm quite open to those ideas. But what I'm working on in our portfolio is very much about standardization of data sets. Yeah. Getting really bright people to start making decisions. Yeah. Um, so we can move we can move into more bespoke maintenance strategies, for example, in that yeah, area. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. And then I think you can overlay automation, AI, yeah. and get really clever. Okay. Um, but I, I think we're a step before that, really. Right, okay. That's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Okay, so um, tell us a little bit about yourself outside of work. Mark. Yeah. Yeah, tell us a little bit about you. You know, what do you yeah. like doing? So um, I have a, uh, a lovely family. So yep. wife, Rachel, three boys, yep. Alfie, Jake, Teddy. Yeah, eight, six, and three. So yeah. busy. Yeah, a lot of football. I'm a Crystal yeah. Palace fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, ah, um, ticket holder. So that's been really good. I, I did that when I stopped playing football. Actually, you beat City last weekend, didn't you? Drew to oh, all. Drew, no, yeah. it was a draw, wasn't yeah, it? Two yeah. two. But I mean, it's not a great season for us. But we have these moments where we we yeah. outperform really. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. Yeah. So I like going to Palace. Yeah. Um, and I used to play. I used to be a goalkeeper. I used to play a football uh, a lot of football. So any good? No, no, no. I mean, this is like Kingston <laughs> Kingston District League standard, but. Um, yeah. funnily enough like I joined a team that didn't have a goalkeeper and we went on to win a load of things really so it goes back to my theme about work because I generally I'm a team builder I'm an organiser yeah, I yeah, get stuff yeah. done Yeah. so I joined that team in Division 4 in Kingston we got all the way up to Division 1 oh, wow um, and then every, and we won about three or four cups and then everybody left because it got too hard oh really so then we got relegated again oh, <laughs> it went from being social football to being like we need to train yeah yeah like yeah, young yeah. guys coming it became, along it became pinging balls all over the place semi-professional it all got a bit too difficult but yeah, yeah. so so I watch Palace now love my boys my wife's fantastic she's yeah. very um, much uh, uh, very much part of the community where we live yeah yeah so yeah. Um, I'm also chairman of the Scouts oh first, really first ones were Scouts right um and yeah, so my time, I really, that's another real benefit of work at G is that work life balance is pretty good. It is. Yeah, like I see the boys, like I travel once a week for work, probably a night away. Right. Um, and the rest of my time is with the boys, yeah. uh, with Rach, doing normal stuff. Yeah, just pottering about. Yeah. But I think that's important because there's, yeah. there's a danger that you could, like, I always worry I'm not spending enough time on certain subjects, but there's a yeah. worry that it could consume you. And yeah, back to your question earlier on. I'm no good to anyone if I'm completely um, uh, zombified by stress. Exactly. Right. So you've yeah. got to have the compartmentalization again, yeah. which is something people have to learn. You don't mm. just come out of university or, 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 or go into a senior job and just know how to compartmentalize. No. That's, again, something that needs to be worked on. Mentoring is good for that. Completely agree. How do you switch off? What are your triggers to switch off? Changing yeah. your... Like I always like put my jeans on when I go home. Yeah. Um, and as that's almost like a signal to me, like I'm now at home. It's trackies yeah. for me. But yeah. Trackies in a T-shirt. Yeah. There's all sorts of psychology around that switch yeah. off between work and home. Mm. Um, and I think it's important to learn that earlier in your career because yeah. it only gets more difficult. Yeah. I mean, the great thing for me to switch off is my wife still has absolutely no idea what I do for a living. Oh, no. I'm yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, my, my wife, if she's got this far on the podcast, I mean, yeah. she, she's done well to get that far. But yeah. um, she is amazingly supportive of the things I need to do in my job. Mine as well, yeah. 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 But ultimately, if you said to her, what do you do, Mark? I yeah. think she would say quite a good opening sort of elevator pitch. But yeah. But I love that, right? It's, yeah. it's not about me. Yeah. It's about like us as a family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, what I do is 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 great. And yeah. I couldn't do it without her taking the slack with with the, with the boys and school and stuff. Yeah. But ultimately, we're a team. Yeah. And I don't I don't think she needs to know the intricacies of what I do. No, my wife just goes, "You sell things, don't you?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what I do." Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, listen, Mark. I have to be honest, mate. I think we're going to have to have a part two. <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, that was such an interesting chat. 
Um, but obviously, you know, we're time limited. We've run out of time. But I'd love to invite you back again in six months. Uh, yeah, no, to do a part yeah. Two. yeah, if I can help. Um, but listen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, a really informative show. I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot of assistance from some of the things that we've discussed today. Um, have you enjoyed it? Yeah, good. It's always, it's always nice to share... Um, thoughts and opinions like uh, one thing the last thing i'll maybe say is that mm. there is no right way right so Very true. the nice thing about careers is you can look at people and you can say oh, i like that about that person yeah i want to learn that and then i'm going to add it to something i like about that other person and yeah i'm going to do that yeah so i don't think there is one right way my my career path is is relatively unique in some ways but there's a lot of common themes around building skills building relationships yeah um taking chances Yes. Um, and, and being quite resilient. So, yeah, yeah but I, I don't want, there is no one right way. No, they've got to find their own path. Yeah, they do. You know, and, and to be fair, you're going to make a lot of mistakes on that yeah. path at the end of the day. It's about picking yourself up and then pushing forward, isn't it? Oh, yeah, like, I think that ability to know when you've made a mistake yeah. and be, not being proud to say that. That's the key one, that's actually, because a lot one. of people yeah. don't know. They, yeah. they, they're like, nah, I'm not wrong. No, yeah. I was right, you know. Yeah. But yeah. That, that 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 ability to self-reflect, look inside yourself and go, I probably handled that the wrong way, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think is an important and, and I think what I've learned over the years is reading the room as well, where you, you can see on people's faces if you're going on a slightly different path. Yeah. And, and sort of over time you sort of learn to go, right, okay, well, I'll think about that again. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, let's yeah, part yeah. that, we'll come yeah. back next week and have another conversation yeah. on that. But that ability to be flexible, though, like, yeah. and, and actually read a room, you know, yeah. that, that's an important skill yeah. as well, you know, the yeah, ability yeah. to recognise probably need to go down a different route yeah. and then change on the fly is, you know. Yeah, quite but that comes with experience, right? Of course it so does. So knowing how teams work, knowing how businesses work, yeah. you don't just wake up one morning and be able to do that. No. You, you've got to go through the period of, of experience, making mistakes. Yep. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I, I really am passionate, particularly in facilities management, to see more people trying to do non-classical things. Like if people yeah. want to be leaders in businesses, yes. you have to do something that makes your CV stand out a little Agreed. bit. Agreed, yep. Obviously, sales is an under-realized um, skill. Yeah. Like if you just break sales down, it's relationships, yes. it's commercials, yeah. it's presentations. Yeah. Any senior leadership needs those skills. Oh, of course they do. And yeah. sales, you learn it quickly because you do it week in, week out, yeah. and you either fail yeah. and you learn to get up from it, yeah. or you win and it feels amazing. Exactly. And that is a lesson for being senior leadership. No, I mean, there is absolutely no feeling like winning a contract. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and I still, I get, I get the same excitement now that I did back when I was 18 when I got the first contract that I ever signed. Oh, that's cool. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I literally do. And, I, and for whatever reason, I just feel exceptionally proud of myself, yeah. which is really bad, actually, to be fair. But I do. I'm like, yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, I get really on, yeah. excited. But, but, that's, but you've got to celebrate success. Yeah. You've got to recognise when things... But as you said, you've got to be. you got to pick yourself up. Agreed. Yeah, there's so much out of your control at work. Yes. That you, 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 can't, you can't always legislate for what's going to happen next. So you've got no. the best guess. Yeah. If it doesn't go your way... Make sure you understand it. If there's things you can improve, great. If not, sometimes these things are not meant to be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, Mark, absolute pleasure. Um, we'll definitely get you in for a part two. Okay. Um, listen, I'd like to thank Mark for joining us today. Um, that's another episode of, of Wear Many Hats. Look out for this. Well, Mark's second one, actually. I think we'll do that in about six months. Um, but thank you for joining us again, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>